Hello and welcome to our new episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast, where we discuss everything acting. I'm Andrea Helene. I'm talking to you from Mallorca, Spain, and I am joined by my two favorite co-hosts, Gary Condis from London, England. Hi, Gary. Hello, Andrea. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's nice and warm and toasty here. So it is in London as well. Ooh. We're getting Mediterranean over here. Yeah. Lovely. And Brian Cast from Prague. Hey, Brian. Hi, how are you? I'm good, but are you in Prague right now? I am not in Prague right now. We need to have a little game, like a little globe. Yeah, we where's to- Brian yeah. at the where's, moment? Yeah, we're in the world <laughs> Brian Cast. Yeah. Well, at the moment, I am in Moscow. So, yeah, it's been pretty good. Excellent. We'll find out yeah. more about your, I want to say your travails. Oh, my but, exploits. Well, your, your exploits in, in Moscow. Yes. Well, we have a very special episode today. I'm so excited to introduce one of my favorite acting students from Los Angeles who's just been rising up in her career and her work. Samantha Wynn is our guest today. Please welcome Samantha. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. And oh gosh, you've been so generous with your words towards me. (laughs) (laughs) We're very excited to have you. Uh, Samantha is a stunt woman who's also a very accomplished actress and writer and producer. And she's going to talk to us all about her work. Most recently, you can see her in Army of the Dead, which is just sort of glowing through all sorts of records on Netflix globally. So we're going to hear all about her work there with Zack Snyder and Army of the Dead and much more. Each week, before we get to our main topic and our main interview, we talk with each other about what we've been up to creatively. And so why don't we begin with Brian? Why don't you tell us about Moscow? What can you tell us about the project and what are you getting out of your time there? Oh, okay. So let's see. I'll try to keep it brief. So the project is a film that is a Russian production that was shooting for a little while in the Czech Republic. And it started actually pre-pandemic and then had a year of hiatus, basically, or it didn't even start shooting it. I did my costume fitting. And then that afternoon, we got an email from the producer saying, we're shutting down and we don't know when we're going to start back up again. And originally, I wasn't supposed to come to Moscow. They were shooting in the Czech Republic and in Riga. And then after the production started up again, they said, oh, actually, we're going to have some days in Prague and then three weeks in Moscow and then a day in Nuremberg because the project is about what's centered around the Nuremberg trials. And it's told very much from the the Soviet side of those trials and of the war. And I play an American soldier who's basically guarding the German prisoners who are at Nuremberg. And basically, it's been really great not only to work on the project, which is work is always great when you have it, but to be here and to watch the Russian actors do their thing and to, to watch how the different dynamic is with the Russian actors. You know, it was interesting. I was talking with an actor today, the lead actually in the film, and he said one of the directors of a play that he was in at university or when he was studying, oh, he said, oh yeah, that, that director's great grandfather was Stalin. And so, and I was like, oh, this is, wow. you wow. know, so that's, yeah, I mean, it's people are, it's, it's really, it's really full on and intense. How did you respond? Did you look over your shoulders for any um, sort of Politburo at all? 
Well, you know, it's funny because when I came to Moscow, I was, the picture that you get, I think, not knowing what it's really like is a very Cold War kind of attitude. And the truth, as far as I've experienced it, is that it's a very cosmopolitan European city. And yes, there are certain aspects of um, people's lives that are different than what they would be in the EU or in America. But um, in general, I think it feels very European. And, and actually, I really like the city. So, Brian, while you were there, didn't you go see something wonderful at a theater that you want to tell us about? Yeah. So uh, my first day of shooting here, one of the actors who was one of the really quite well-known actors in Russia, and he said, oh, would you would you like to come and see me and Uncle Vanya? <laughs> and I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And so I went and he arranged for a ticket at this theater. I learned later it was one of the stages of the Moscow Art Theater, which has been revamped and, and is now bringing in directors from all over the world to direct plays there. And it was a great production of Uncle Vanya. And he, this actor played Vanya, which was incredible because he had been shooting all day and then he had this huge performance and then he was going to go shoot the next day. And <laughs> the next day I was like, how, how tired were you? He goes, well, for the audience, I have to put all the energy out. And I was like, oh my God, that's, that's a lot of a lot of energy to be putting out. But I think it was a really great performance. And what I thought was especially interesting about his performance was his use of the psychological gesture. Mm. What he was doing, it was so clear because even though the production was in Russian, his physicality, first of all, was completely different than what he does in the movie, you know, is which it's like, it's like night and day difference in terms of his physicality of what he's like when he's just sitting around on the set and what he's like when he's performing on the movie. And then what he was like on stage, it was like night and day. And I, and I really put it down to this, this idea that so much of what he did was physically embodied. The psychology that, that he was going through was physically embodied. And the performances were, I mean, it's Chekhov. So it's, it's very, deep. Oh, there's a lot going on. There's, you know, there's all the high pathos, you know? And so in that sense, they were theatrical performances, but I think that every single actor on that stage was incredibly grounded. And so it felt theatrical and real at the same time. <laughs> it was Fantastic. pretty cool. I'm so glad you had the opportunity. Yeah, me too. Me too. Have theater productions been up and running there for a while now? Because that's just blowing my mind to be able to Mm -hmm. sit in a theater with live performances again. Yeah, it was a little strange for me. I think that stuff really hasn't shut down here. Mm -hmm. And I think that's partly a political decision. I don't think it's really driven much by the actual situation here. But they did have an attempt at distancing in the theater. You know, there were seats that were separating people. But truthfully, the masking protocol here, although at the beginning of the performance, they said, please, you know, mask. Nobody really, I mean, there were some people that did, but I would say the majority of people were not even masked and just kind of like not following (laughs) good protocols. But I I wore my mask the entire time because I was like, I can't, I cannot get sick here. I just can't get sick here because I, 
you know, I have to work first of all. And second of all, I want to be able to go home in a week. <laughs> so I, I don't want to, I don't want to get sick. So of yeah. Course. So, but it was, it was a little bit creepy to be sitting in a theater surrounded by people unmasked. That was a little weird, but I was like, well, this is what we're doing. So it's great that you're still getting the experience. I was listening to your story and I'm like, why is this sounding so far away from me right now? And I realized mm. I haven't been able to watch live performances in yeah. so long. That's right. Yeah, it's it's like a, a dream state for me. Right I don't know. It's a little strange. Anyway, okay, so that's the film. And and being on set is great. The director's really great. Everyone is super nice. You know, I don't have a ton to do, so I'm mostly just kind of like just hanging out on set, you know? <laughs> so much of the learning on set is being able to talk with other actors and learn things about everyone's process and experiences as, as well. So mm -hmm. still very valuable time. Yeah. The first three days I was sharing a trailer with a really, really nice Russian actor who mm -hmm. really did not speak English. So we spent a lot of quality time kind of just looking at each other, <laughs> trying to talk to each other. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. Looking up things on Google Translate, you know. <laughs> It was, but he's really, he's really funny. He's really good. I like him. Shout out to Alexei. Oh my God. Well, what okay. about you, Gary? Are you, are you sitting across from anybody in silence using Google Translate these days? Or are you uh, able to communicate with your, with your people? Yeah. Well, this week in London, I've had a couple of pretty big coaching jobs, really interesting that have come in and um, both very different material, but strangely enough, in the end, required similar solutions. I worked with a client of mine on Masters of the Air, which is a new TV miniseries for Apple Plus, which is executive produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks and directed by Kerry Fukunaga, who um, yeah. recently directed the latest James Bond movie, which yeah. is yet to come out, and True Detective and Bond Man. So he's a guy who's star is absolutely rising and um, you know it's branded as the sequel to band of brothers oh. and it's all about these young air force pilots in the united states air force and you know we had these lots of scenes and he's an officer the client i was working with and it dealt with a lot of military jargon and particularly sort of air force technical terms in conversations and briefings and i just had to get my client to be very disciplined about the reality of the situation you know, you're a high-ranking officer issuing important information that needs to be clear, and there's a certain functionality to it. You know, because if you add too much on top of that, you lose the sense of it, and you just overburden it, and it becomes about something else. Mm -hmm. So it was about reminding oneself to play the reality of the situation and don't add anything. And then the second job I had was for The Sandman, written by Neil Gaiman, Netflix production that is coming out. And I've talked about it in a previous podcast at the beginning, but I couldn't mention it because I was on NDA and it's all out now. So I can talk a little bit more about it. And again, here, reality of the situation, the whole series is about a fantasy and it's all whacked out fantasy situations with extreme realities and heightened emotions and behaviors. And, you know, there's portals to other worlds and fantasy scary figures and all of this. And again, where there's heightened emotion and even seems melodramatic, I was just grounding my client in playing the reality of the situation, which in this case was, it's all about losing your loved one and blaming someone for that and confronting them about it. So mm -hmm. get behind that and let the rest of the stuff sort of communicate through the storytelling. It'll take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And what was your client's experience of, of shooting those scenes? Um, expedient. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, what's been relayed back is, I mean, this is a huge production. I mean, it's massive. It probably doesn't get much bigger than this in terms of a TV miniseries. And you can sense the necessity to get on with things not rushed but to get on with things and for it to be this there's this juggernaut that is up and running and whereas rehearsals i've been told were open and free and and now it's about just executing it so there's not a lot of time to play around and there's there's a lot of specificity that you have to stick to so he's getting a lot of experience of how much you just have to be so prepared get on with it and don't mess about basically Mm-hmm. Did they talk at all about in that experience about feeling like the artistry was gone a little bit because it was so expedient? Because I know that that can sometimes happen when it's kind of like just about execution that you kind of feel like, well, I'm not really creating in the moment. Um, particularly with one of them, the the male actor with you know Masters of the Air, I think his job was to be very sort of functional and to deliver information, and it was technical mm-hmm. information. Yes, he had a character. He was kind of cast close to that, so a lot of things were taken care of. But, yeah, I think it was just a surprise that there's so much forward movement. Mm-hmm. And if you're not prepared with all of the basics and all of the necessary stuff – and you've done your work and you do enough work that if you're not directed, you'll still deliver. We reported back and said, I'm just so glad we prepped because if I hadn't have prepped with somebody else or to the extent where I was ready to go on camera and if I didn't have any direction, I would have still been happy with what I've done. If I hadn't have done that, I would have come away feeling a bit dizzy by the speed of an expediency Mm -hmm. of, of how it went. What about you, Andrea? What have you been up to? Well, I've had a relatively quiet week. I mean, busy with lots of things as the school year ends and we're heading into a new season. But uh, creatively, mostly I've been doing some writing. I'm trying to write some scenes that we can be filming here on the island. So that's been a lot of fun thinking about the possibilities for storytelling and locations and everything. So um, I'll share more specifics when I'm further along in the process. But I'm looking forward to creating some fun things together with a few of my people and my daughter. I want to, I want to create something fun for her to shoot. She's itching to do it again. Um, You're writing scenes for specific people? Yes, I am. Yeah, which is fun. I, I like that. I like working that way. It's sort of like, you know, in our Meisner work when we're creating our doors and activities and our exercises and we're making everything as personal as possible and you know, making use of what we understand and feel about one another. I think it's a really fun way to work. Cool. Have you been doing more coaching? No, I didn't do any coaching this week. Mm -hmm. I'm open though. Yeah, guys (laughs) out there and and our listeners get out there and and give Andrea a holler for your coaching needs. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I love Zoom. Yeah, no, I'm just coaching my dog and how to be well-behaved and my daughter and how to be responsible. So that's the coaching I've been doing this week. Maybe you, maybe <laughs> we can get a few actors your way and you can teach them how to be responsible also. Oh, yes, please, please. Won't the world be a better place if I can do that? Come to think, coaching must be more accessible than ever with classes primarily being on Zoom now because you're 
proximity to the teachers or the theaters is a non-existent problem now. So really, you could have an international student base. That's right. That's yeah. what we've all been discovering. Yeah, I've been coaching a woman who's actually in your country, Canada. She's uh, based in Toronto. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And um, she's she's been doing really, really well. She's a wonderful actress whom I also know from my Playhouse West days. And uh, we've been doing mm-hmm. some regular coaching on her auditions and it's been a lot of fun. So yes, the magic of technology makes it all possible. I'm really grateful for that. And that would be something I want to speak about with all of my fellow actors too. I mean, getting to experience coaches in other countries mm-hmm. is a whole other level of insight right now. Because I'm right. sure each country we have our own processes or ways about set etiquette and things like that, that mm-hmm. uh, you don't even realize are different until you get to you know, learn something new from a different country. So it's great. That's right. Samantha, what have you been up to this week? I'm sure you've been extremely busy, but give us a rundown. What's happening in your creative life? Oh, gosh, a lot. (laughs) Um, It's been just a whirlwind of the last year, Mm -hmm. definitely since wrapping on Army of the Dead up until now it's out and it's people are enjoying it. It's doing really well on Netflix. But for me, I, I have to say the part of the experience that's been the most lovely, and this could be something that is just my own interpretation of myself, but being seen more as mm-hmm. a, an actress versus yeah. stunt woman. That has been a transition that I had been making and not struggling with, but figuring out the nuances of for several years now. And it did feel like I was making very conscious decisions about what parts to take, what auditions to go out for, little things like the amount of action versus the amount of dialogue. It was just something that I felt I had to be so conscious of for so long. Mm -hmm. And now it seems that... I am just seen as an actress. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not coming across that problem as much where it's just 90% action, 10% character and dialogue. I feel like all of these other opportunities are opening up and I'm getting to actually putting in motion the things I've been practicing in my classes and with fellow students for so long. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so happy I'm finally getting to use so many of the tools that I, I got to learn with Andrea and all of my time spent in classes and in theater and doing scene work. That has been truly enjoyable for me. And along with all that, uh, dabbling in writing and producing content, mm-hmm. especially with the global pandemic that we had, mm-hmm. you know, opportunities were limited for everyone for a while. So I kind of just bit the bullet and decided to put myself out there. However, I thought it was going to end up but I, I actually am proud of it. So I'm, I'm thankful to say that. <laughs> it's a beautiful transition to watch. Well, let's, let's go, let's get into it. Let's figure out all about Samantha's journey as a stunt woman, as an actress, as a wushu artist, and let's dig deep into knowing more about Samantha. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, We all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner. And if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, 
you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. Samantha, you have this amazing, amazing, I know we say the word journey all the time, but really it is an interesting journey from my perspective because you begun your work so early in martial arts, right? Your mother was a black belt jujitsu, right? And you and your brothers got into the martial arts very early on and it really worked for you. And then you moved into wushu and in fact competed at very, very high levels with team Canada, right? And Beijing is part of the Olympics and uh, you were a medalist you obviously developed an extraordinary level of discipline and intention and focus early on. And then you also knew you wanted to be an actress. And so how do you segue into that and the kind of skills that you developed over your life's work, really? Um, I'd love to know more about that. I think it's really helpful for our listeners to understand everything that has to come together we see sometimes the end product and it looks so oh, it looks silky. You know, it looks like it's just sort of arrived in this beautiful package of a film or of a television or performance. And we all know how much hard work goes into that and how much study mm-hmm. and dedication and thought. And so I'd really mm-hmm. love to sort of break down a little bit the kind of attitude and skills that you developed early on and the role that that played in your development into now a full-fledged working beautiful actress well firstly thank you you said such wonderful things i i feel very flattered but uh, that is one of the misconceptions that i advocate so much towards because i do feel like there is a big gap between what people see and the end product and perhaps mm-hmm. where my career might be at now yeah. or many other careers you can look at anyone, even on Instagram, it doesn't have to be acting related. You can look at what a person is showing or what you see in front of you, what they're choosing to show to the world Mm -hmm. and, and what the real work and the real story looks like. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I do feel like someone could look at my life or career and it just looks like I decided to do this and then that happened. And then I decided Mm -hmm. to do this and then that happened. But, uh, I did know from a very young age that I wanted to do acting and even throughout my martial arts career, I was pursuing acting. I just wasn't booking things or wasn't in the limelight. And so maybe people can dismiss it as a part of my life where I wasn't an actress. But I was in classes since I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, I did different levels of scene study from 10 years old at uh, the Toronto Academy of Acting. And I did commercial training as well as theater, scene study, um, different kinds of on-camera classes with different teachers. Uh, All of this was actually simultaneous with my martial arts. And 
the reason I even joined Wushu at the age of 10 mm -hmm. was because it was a performance martial art, which I thought would help my acting. Mm -hmm. So people mm -hmm. can look at that and say, you were an athlete who decided to be an actress. But really, I joined Wushu for my acting because uh -huh. I wanted to have something that I felt I could use to actually be able to move to Los Angeles. As a Canadian, moving to Los Angeles, I knew I'd need to go through the immigration process. And I knew that you can't exactly move there just because you want to do acting. You have to have some sort of level of accomplishment that makes you this is their words, extraordinary. You have to have an extraordinary yeah. ability for the, yeah. the green card I was applying for. That seemed to be something that was in my natural wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. I had been practicing martial arts since I was four. And so I just kind of hunkered down and dedicated my time towards that. And then if I could accomplish that, I could move to LA and now hopefully be at the same playing level as everyone else and be able to try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which seems like a lot of work just for that. But yeah. I can't say it wasn't fun. It was extremely fun along the way. And that kind of work ethic and discipline that you've mentioned is something that I would never want to take back. I would do that all again in a heartbeat if I had to. Mm -hmm. But it was painful. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha, can I ask you about that kind of getting to L.A.? Mm -hmm. The dream of if I leave where I am and I go to L.A., then I can start to begin that kind of professional yeah. acting that, I, that I'm dreaming about. Mm -hmm. Because I think that so many of the people that listen to this podcast, because so many of them are European, mm -hmm. also have that dream. And in fact, I talked to the star of the film that I'm in now. I talked to him today and he said that he spent a month in LA thinking, you know, I'm something in Russia and maybe I can leave and go and be in LA. And I, and I just wanted to ask, so you spent all this energy Mm -hmm. just to be able to get to LA. Yeah. And then when you get there, was it still kind of like, okay, now I'm like kind of at zero again and I have to start over again doing stuff? A hundred percent. Yeah. And a lot of that is very much a misconception. I, I moved here when I was 18. So I still had a lot to learn in life and I guess the real world industry because moving here does not set you above if I were to stay in Toronto or if I were in Moscow. There are so many, so many ways of furthering your career and, and building your career without having to be in LA. I don't mm -hmm. think that that is some sort of necessity for people. Uh, but as an 18 year old, that yeah, is a lot I of people feel that it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I guess I, I did it. So I guess you would think that I would be an advocate for it. But you know, I was here for over 10 years before people are calling me an actress. So <laughs> that, that's a long time. So 10 years, it's, it's not the moving here that I think did it for me necessarily, but perhaps the removal of my safety nets. Mm. Uh, and that's just yeah. my journey. And it could be different things for different people. But for me, the significance of moving to LA was that I wouldn't have my family, I wouldn't have the friends and things to keep me busy. I really was here with that goal and anything that I was now bringing into my life, I wanted it to be all towards that goal. Mm -hmm. And so it, it just provided me with the focus I felt like I needed because I could easily distract myself. And I did in Wushu for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So I know that I, I can get a little bit tunnel visioned when I start to pursue something. And so if I was going to start another thing, I wanted it to be in LA and focused and making sure that I, I stayed on the track I knew I really wanted. Because mm -hmm. I, I think as artists, we all feel 
when we're moving off track or we're not getting to express ourselves, whether it's through acting or writing or painting, whatever the art form be, something doesn't feel right. Mm. There's an unsettled feeling in our soul. And I was starting to feel that. So I, I knew it was time to move for me. Mm. Speaking of moving, I want to look at that word from a slightly different perspective. Some of the Mm -hmm. goals that we have in our podcast this year include doing a series of interviews with people who are really skilled in movement and dance and body awareness. And so I've really been I've been wanting to have you as our guest for longer than you know, uh, because I think for actors who work more with the heart and the mind, there is a lot of intrigue about focus on movement and body awareness and how to train yourself to be in more balance and alignment and how to use your body and your physical energy or how to conjure your energy as part of performance. Can you talk to us a little bit about what happens to you physiologically and mentally and emotionally when you engage on all of those levels in performance as opposed to sort of just being physically still in a scene and listening and hearing and feeling. What's that other piece about for those of us who don't have the depth of experience with movement that you do? Mm -hmm. I think what it does for me physiologically is it almost, it puts me in the state, not by choice. So Mm -hmm. if I am genuinely out of breath or if I'm genuinely throwing or hitting something and using my full body in it, I'm getting tired. So I it'd be extremely difficult for me to act not tired. Mm -hmm. I have all of this blood pumping through my body and my body is creating adrenaline, which is just going to be in my voice, in my uh, attention span. It just affects so many things in performance that are now things that you don't need to act or put on. They're just your state of being. Mm -hmm. And so when that can be done safely in a scene, I'm a huge advocate for doing that because it just allows you to then focus on the other person and focus on whatever the context of the scene is and you not having to worry about pretending to be out of breath or mm-hmm. all of the physical side of things. Mm-hmm. But I, I know that that is much easier said than done because there's a frustration in that's what I'm trying to do. You know, someone could say, but I thought that's what I'm trying to do when I'm hitting. But there is a difference between, and this is in acting as well, really doing the thing do what you're doing while you're doing it and thinking too much about it or Mm -hmm. or putting it on. Yeah. In a physical sense, it's been invaluable for my kinds of characters and scene work, especially working so heavily in the action genre. Mm -hmm. But I think you can't go wrong with training that level and with uh, just having full access to your body and awareness. And now you have more layers to bring to your characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of like, the idea of knowing what the rules are so that you can break them. Yes. Having access to your full body so you can now make those choices with Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Just to follow on from that sort of physical discussion that we're having is um, like any diligent interviewer, I Wikipedia you and Google you and quite (laughs) remarkable. You started martial arts at the age of four, jujitsu, and then you, by the age of 17, you're a competitive wushu athlete. And I just wanted to um, ask you about Wushu. And well, two questions, I suppose, is what's particular about this martial art and differentiates it from others? And is there anything from it, maybe some 
things or all all of it or it's a holistic thing that you use in the work that you were just talking about to help you access more energy or at least prepare yourself for strenuous work does that make sense yes 100 percent um well, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with what wushu is, it's the style of martial art that Jet Li does. So it is very much a performance martial art. It's very fast. It has elements that can be considered dance-like. And what that looks like for our competitions is performing a sequence or a form and then getting judged on it for your style, but also your technical abilities and potentially some acrobatic style kicks or movements that might be in with it. So how that has helped with acting was, I mean, it helped hugely in that it is a performance martial art. And so there's a level of pressure when you're standing at the edge of the carpet waiting to go on. And then there's also a focus that is required when you start your form because you are judged on your performance, your ability to put your heart and your body and your soul into the form to express that fire. There are, there are yells that you have to do. There is aggression that has to come out. It's acting. It's acting a fight scene, basically, yeah. but without the, without the words. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, and that was all so, so relevant to what I'm doing on set right now. It was really my first taste of everybody is watching. They've called action and you have to do it. No matter how prepared you think you are or how focused you think you are, you have to just do it. And so it was getting myself in a state of preparation to where if I have to, I know that I can just do it. I can focus myself and do the best that I can. And that's all you can do. And then you let it go because you only get one shot or one performance on the carpet. And so it really got me used to that idea and it being a performance and very much an acting as well as physical performance. It was a a perfect martial art, I think, to usher me into the world of action scenes in films. If you're in a sort of one, two or three year conservatoire type acting course, I think martial arts should be obligatory to help with all of that. Because I remember when I, I was sort of part of a studio, we introduced Gracie Jiu Jitsu to the mm, syllabus so cool. because it really got the actors involved in one, one another. Mm-hmm. And it's a very reactive martial art, if correct me if I'm wrong. So therefore, you didn't do anything unless someone else made you do it, mm-hmm. um, which is very much about, you know, taking the moment in acting and giving it back. Mm-hmm. So I, I hear what you're saying, and I think it's very beneficial. Uh, there's a lot of parallels in the ability to just learn something and then abandon yourself to it mm-hmm. while still doing it. Even on the preparation side of things, too, to be able to practice doing movements over and over, and then they'll get better. And if that happens physically, why not emotionally as well? So it really encourages, even in acting classes, practice and rehearse and you will get better. It happens the same way, even if it's not because you're trying to build physical muscle. It's building that kind of training and that kind of habit at a healthy stage. Yes, very closely linked, very closely linked. Brian, is there a way that you can sort of underline that in the editing? Can you make that bold, what she just said, the importance of <laughs> practice and training and repetition? I could, I could just copy it a bunch of times or say <laughs> it again do. and again and again. Please do. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Samantha, did you, when you were doing your wushu, did you have like an alter ego personality that you climbed into? Or did you think of yourself as Samantha? Like, did you have, did you have another, another being in you? No, actually. And 
perhaps that's why I can be a little bit fiery myself. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up believing that I was that person. So, cool. um, yeah, I think that's a good thing, though. I, I, I like that I can see myself like that. I think it would be difficult for me to do the work I'm doing now if I didn't believe that I had that in me. Mm -hmm. And my mom has always been that kind of personality as well. Mm -hmm. She was a black belt, which is why she put all of her children in martial arts. So mm -hmm. my mom has an inner fire and drive and work ethic. And so when I'm going to perform in Wushu, I just focus myself to that like fiery inner person and that inner drive that I know I have. Mm -hmm. And I give it my all. And believe that I'm good enough for whatever it is I'm trying to do. And if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out swinging. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, when we met, one of the early memories I have is your confiding in me that you wanted to make this transition from the stunt work that you were doing into acting. And mm -hmm. to me, you it was all acting that you were doing, but I really understood where you were coming from. And I saw you tackle things with the kind of focus and discipline that you're talking about. And always with this wonderful attitude that it was possible and that you were going to set yourself to it. And I will just say that you helped to set a tone among the other actors we were working with of possibility and a personal and positive take on things. And it was a very, very beautiful influence for me to watch. And I'm so when you talk about feeling that you have made this transition now from the stunt work, you know, not to minimize the stunt work, because you've done tremendous work in stunts from, you know, Man of Steel to 300 Rise of an Empire, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, you've, you've done really, really important stunt work. And but now to be moving into something that you've been aiming for and working towards all these years is really quite wonderful to watch. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It's a, a really meaningful acknowledgement because, like I'd mentioned before, I was in classes and pursuing stunts from the age of 10. And kind of everything action-wise and martial arts-wise was me trying to approach it from a different angle and then mm -hmm. feeling like I had to come back. And it just felt like ups and downs, <laughs> a twisty mm -hmm. whirlwind of a path. But I feel like I'm on my center again, which feels really nice. And yes. Uh, yeah, all of the work was roundabouts, but I feel like I learned so much on that side of the journey in the mm -hmm. stunt world. It gave me so much more set experience because, you know, being hired as a stunt double for a skill set and for my height and for whatever the reasons, it is still a narrower pool than auditioning and mm -hmm. then actors auditioning for mm -hmm. all of these roles. So it provided me with more opportunities to be on set and to talk to actors and directors and learn and be able to watch some of the most respected actors in the industry and their process and just like quietly study from the sidelines. And that's something that I, I wouldn't have gotten to do if I if I didn't dive into stunts first. So right. it is another good lesson in trusting the process. And mm -hmm. we're all where we are at in our lives for a reason. And we're taking that life experience. And whether we're aware of it or not, it will be influencing our work 
mm-hmm. I think in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Did you come into LA and start getting stunt work kind of immediately because of your previous training and being at a certain level in terms of your abilities? So was that an easy transition to start getting stunt work in LA or was that more difficult? Well, the way that a lot of stunt coordinators find new stunt performers is by looking in certain fields like wushu or taekwondo or motorcycles or high diving, certain things that are are related to stunt work. And they'll reach out to the top athletes or performers in those fields to uh, garner interest in being Mm -hmm. a stunt double for different projects. So I was very fortunate that some of the big stunt coordinators that were already doing all of the biggest projects, like 300, saw my videos of me performing wushu online. And so they had reached out for me to start doing stunt work based off of that. Right. So I was one of the lucky few who had gotten work as soon as I had hit 18. I, I was able to just be working as a stunt performer. Mm-hmm. That is not the same for everybody because unless you have something like the Olympics on your resume or all these videos floating around online, right. even the performers that came before YouTube, I don't even know how they would have been found. <laughs> so, <laughs> Like probably exhibitions or something like that. Yeah, it it was a much harder path before. I'm positive of that. So I, I was lucky. I was just on the cusp of when YouTube was becoming big. And so my videos weren't oversaturated in, you know, millions and millions of videos of all of the same mm-hmm. thing. And I I was able to, I guess, make an imprint at a an opportune time in my life. And that for me was luck because there are so many talented people out there. I'm I'm grateful that I I landed in a good group of people too, because I'm still working with those people today. Yeah. So it it was an immediate process for me when I moved on. And so do you find that within the stunt community, there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, but I really want to do acting or I really want to do something else. Or, or is it mostly stunt people are like, no, I'm, I'm, this is what I do. I'm doing stunts and I'm not so interested in becoming seen as like an actor first and a stunt person second. That's a really interesting question because it's one that you feel so alone in until like for me, it wasn't until I really made the transition to acting that so many others opened up to me about it. And I realized how many people are experiencing this problem, Mm -hmm. but how much shame or fear we have about expressing it or talking to each other about it. So, uh, yeah. What does that come from? You think that shame? I think there's this stigma and this very much was a mindset. I haven't been running into it as much anymore, or perhaps it was just a fear that we were all (laughs) kind of amping up within each other and it wasn't based on it. But anyways, the, the fear is that we already have amazing jobs as stunt performers. We are well paid. We get to work on sets all the time. If you can hone your skills to a point where you're a valued asset on set, it's a relatively stable position to be in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you should be grateful for that. So the fear is that admitting you want to do acting is not trashing the stunt world, but it's it's shitting on the job a little bit because it's such an amazing job. Why do you want to do this now? Is it because you just want to be famous? Hmm. And so that is the kind of mindset that we worry will fall into. Like if you admit you want to do acting, it's because you want to be more or bigger or better and you don't want to step on people or make it look like you're not grateful. And then there's a fear of not being hired because why would a stunt coordinator hire you for a stunt job that's well paid and that people are lined up down the block to get? 
when that's not even the job you want. I do understand the fears. I had them. But on the flip side of that, I have found the opposite to be true. I have found that the stunt coordinators and people that I've worked with have now been my biggest advocates and supporters and have been pitching me for amazing parts on sets when they're the stunt department and there's an opportunity for an actor to be hired that needs to be able to fight. I find that they're pitching me for those things. That makes me so happy to hear that. I'm so, so happy that you say that. Yeah. And I, I'm so happy that so many others are opening up about it with mm-hmm. me as well, because I'd love to be able to support other people in the transition. Mm-hmm. I think I think it only creates a better place when people are in line with what they want to be doing. If, mm-hmm. if an artist is hiding that within themselves, then... I don't know. I, I just want everyone to be happy. So I'm, I'm going to encourage that. If someone feels like they need to be doing it, then I want to support them doing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like having the ability to act as a stunt person would be an asset almost all the time. Yeah. There are actually a lot of great performances by people that the general audience wouldn't know is actually a stunt performer, but mm-hmm. it might be a stunt acting role. Mm-hmm. And they're amazing actors. Just because they're capable of amazing stunt work doesn't mean they're any less capable of being emotionally available and great actors. That's right. Right. Can you talk to us about some of the roles that have really been pivotal for you from your own perspective, large or small, in terms of making the transition that you wanted to make or learning something that really sort of blew open your worldview or industry view or took you to the next level of capabilities? What do you look at as the milestones for you so far? I feel like I've been grateful that every job seems like it's been a small step forward for me. So Mm. on every set I've been on, I feel like I've learned a lot and it's been a new thing and a new thing and a new thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, one that had a big impact on me was a short film that I did with Zack Snyder called Snow Steam Iron. Mm -hmm. And the reason that that one holds such significance for me is because it was the first time working with Zack who is a huge director. He directed 300, Man of Steel, and Sucker Punch, and Dawn of the Dead. It was my first time working with him as his lead actress in the short film, Mm -hmm. and also with scene work that required emotion and a character arc and all of these things that, you know, if you want to be an actor, you should be able to tackle And it was the first time he placed his trust in me to perform that and not just fight scenes or stunt doubling. So there was a level of pressure on me, but also a level of trust that really helped bring out the confidence in myself. I thought if he sees this in me and if he trusts me with it, it must be in me somewhere. And so I hunkered down and I did the work and then I just tried to show up as prepared as I absolutely could have. Mm. And I'm really glad I did because, uh, like you were mentioning, Gary, sometimes it's very necessary for something that's moving quickly to be very prepared. And this was, mm-hmm. this was one of those circumstances because the short film was shot on an iPhone. There was very short turnaround time between takes. We were using natural light. It was an iPhone. <laughs> so there really was no setup. Was, as soon as we filmed something, he would just like take a step to the left and be like, okay, you good to go. 
Meanwhile, I'm like mid emotional scene. And so, you know, we're rushing with daylight disappearing and I'm having to be emotionally prepared within seconds. And I'm so glad that I was currently practicing with Andrea and in, in schools. And it was very much at my ready because if it hadn't been, I would have felt like I had embarrassed myself or let an opportunity pass me by because I don't, I don't know that. He would have trusted me with bigger acting roles if I hadn't been able to perform to his liking for that film. So mm -hmm. that one was like a test of my own personal ability for myself. But also I feel like it opened up doors for me career wise as well. And then in addition to that, it was friends and family. No one was being paid. We were all there to support Zach. And so I felt as safe and as secure as I could for it being such a pivotal career moment. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like because you had worked with him a lot before mm -hmm. and probably worked with a lot of the crew that he had on before, that it seems like there's certainly a home base kind of feeling that happens when you get on a set and you're like, you know, everyone and you're like, oh, these are, these are people that I've hung out with. These are people that I've like kind of been through the trenches with. And so I know that I could depend on them and I know that they know who I am and what I can do. And so it seems like it's a really positive environment and supportive environment to kind of take that step. Mm -hmm. It really was. And it gave me an extra sense of pride too, when I felt prepared. And so I was so happy to what I felt like showing myself to them for the first time, mm -hmm. because so many people on the crew had seen me as a stunt double prior. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for them to be seeing this new light of me, which I felt was more genuine to my real self was a just a special treat. It was just an important project to me all around. And then everything since then has been a shift in, I think, how everyone has seen me after that. And mm -hmm. um, I'm really thankful. It's a very vulnerable moment. Mm -hmm. Is that something that people can see somewhere? Oh, yes. You can search it on YouTube, but also Zach has it on his Vero page. Vero is a social media app, and that can be viewed with the best quality on their app. They have Cool. Yeah. Was it after that project then that he hired you for Justice League? Um, actually, we filmed Justice League just before that. Mm and I think it was that scene in Justice League where he, he got a little... I mean, as a stunt performer, we have to die all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, a lot of times that isn't that big of a thing or it's not milked, really. You just kind of... You die, and that's that. Like, that's part of How the wonderful. That's an actor's dream to have to die. I mean, and a lot of actors don't get to die. That's how I felt. So that's why in Justice League, that moment where I was dying under this horse, I, as an actor, I was really feeling it. And, uh, <laughs> and he captured that. And it ended up being such a sweet scene that I, I think was kind of unexpected. And, and I like to think that because of, the performance I, I had there, he gave me the opportunity for Snow Steam Iron. Yes. But, oh, uh, yeah, it was after Snow Steam Iron, though, that he had considered me and I was able to audition for a larger role in Army of the Dead. Mm -hmm. I want to get to Army of the Dead in just a second, but I want to go just back a little bit to Wonder Woman. You were you performed in Wonder Woman and there was so much talk in LA, certainly at the time around Patty Jenkins being a female director of this, you know, mega budget project and the female energy around the whole thing was really a focal point in the film community. Did you feel mm -hmm. a lot of unique pressure on that set? What was it like being sort of in the middle of that tornado? Well, I think firstly, 
it was just an honor to be able to play an Amazonian. I think as a, a child or even a teen or anyone who's familiar with pop culture, yeah. it is a, a pretty neat thing if you're allowed to play an Amazonian. They yeah. must see something that is a, you know, a nice way of looking at yourself. So <laughs> I was just honored and touched that I was able to. And then, you know, going there and meeting all of these amazing women that were fellow Amazonians and then having Patty as the leader and mm-hmm. Gal as the leader of the film, mm-hmm. it really was a special moment, not just for myself, but for, I think, the film industry mm-hmm. and the world at the time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be a part of that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. I don't know that there'll be any film that can capture it quite as special as yes. Wonder Woman did it. Yeah. For the people in your life, it was really a thrill to watch you become a part of that. I think there were a lot of pumping of fists in the air. Your fans, we oh. were we were thrilled. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it was exciting on set too. Patty really owned it. And she, she took full claim of herself while she was leading the set. And mm-hmm. you know, she had everyone's respect and love. Mm-hmm. It was a, a beautiful set to be a part of. Yeah. All right, my dear, let's talk about Army of the Dead, because this is obviously a really important piece of your career now. It's taken on this mega life, and Mm -hmm. you play one of the lead characters, Chambers, and I actually heard a bit of your story about how you became involved in the project and your desire for an audition. Could you share that with us? Yes. So I think as a struggle that a lot of people go through, I was having a hard time asking for opportunities. Even if I was very prepared and training and putting in all the work, I had such a hard time, like when I was stunts, just admitting I wanted to do acting. Now it was acting, asking for an opportunity, even though I know it's okay. And I know that that person would be happy to help me. I had such a hard time asking. So Mm -hmm. the story is I had heard Army of the Dead was in pre-production and I had heard that the stunt team was already starting to work on it. Things were in motion, things were happening, but I hadn't heard anything myself. So I wasn't getting any phone calls. I didn't have a a way in to audition. I was just kind of sitting idly by my phone, (laughs) hoping something would happen. And we all know that is no way to kickstart something in your life. You don't just sit and wait for it to happen. That's just dreaming if if that's the plan. But so I I had had Zach's number from working with him prior and on Snow Steam Iron. And I thought maybe this is one of those times in life where I need to ask and I need to really make it known what I want because I don't know if he knows or if it's really that clear that this acting in a lead role capacity or with dialogue and a, a a character with an arc, I didn't know that he knew I wanted to do that. I wanted to make sure that he knew I was serious, that the world knew I was serious. And so I thought, I'll probably need to ask for it. It's not obvious. So I spent a few days deliberating with friends and I was telling them, you know, how I have this fear that he'll think I'm ungrateful or that I'm entitled because he'd already given me so many amazing opportunities. Why should I ask for it? I don't want him to feel insulted. I should just be grateful and I should sit back. And if he wants to cast me for anything, he will. If not, I should keep my mouth closed. And they were like, you're an idiot. 
No, <laughs> you need to test because he's a busy person. He might not think about it. And do you want to risk that? You should just ask. You're not hurting anyone. And so after three days, they had convinced me and I texted Zach and I asked if I could audition. And all my fears went away when he said he was, of course, happy to have me audition. And then they sent me the sides instantly. And I guess the rest is history from there. I just put everything I could. I I basically handed him a short film instead of an audition because <laughs> I was like, he has to know I'm serious. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got the call from John Papsidera's office a few weeks later. So that's exciting. So tell us about the short film that you submitted. What did it look like? Uh, well, it wasn't literally a short film. I got the regular sides that everyone was supposed to tape, but Zach. Uh, I had figured that he would probably want to see it personally. And I know that he's a very creative person and he's very visual. And so I took a bit of a gamble, which, you know, they say you're not supposed to do in self tapes. You, you, know, you do it against the wall, you put the proper framing. But uh, I don't know. I guess I just thought if Zach was going to personally see it, I just wanted him to enjoy it. And I wanted, I wanted him primarily to know how seriously I took it, mm -hmm. that I didn't take the opportunity for granted. And so I went out into a field that kind of had like a similar vibe or lighting to the scene. Mm -hmm. And it was like super bright and sunny. And I dressed similar to the wardrobe. And I like crouched beside this rock. And I was doing I was doing the scene as if I were shooting at low budget myself mm -hmm. instead of on the plain background. And so yeah. uh, and I was nervous to submit that because I knew it broke so many of the the self-taping rules, but uh, I guess it was okay. They forgave me. <laughs> Did you talk to them about it afterwards at all? I mean, I know you probably had so much other things to talk about, but did you have any feedback at all about what their thoughts were seeing it? No, I actually just didn't hear anything for like three or four weeks. Oh gosh. And then John's uh, office called. So I didn't, I really didn't hear anything from Zach or thoughts on it. And to be mm -hmm. honest, I'm probably too scared to ask. So. <laughs> <laughs> He may have very well hated it and been I like... I mean, at this point, it's kind of nice. me, right? <laughs> he probably didn't hate it. Otherwise, he would, wouldn't have gotten the job. Yeah, I, I like to think so. But I'm still too scared to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. can you talk to us about your preparation for the role? How much time did you have? What, what did you work on? Did you have any rehearsal time with your colleagues? Can you give us an overview into your pre-production phase? Yeah, I think I had about a month before starting filming. And I, I think I heard the news a few weeks before I had to fly out for my first costume fittings and, you know, a couple of meetings about the looks and the hairstyle and things like that. But I flew out to Albuquerque. We filmed the majority of the Las Vegas scenery on the back lot of Netflix Studios in Albuquerque. So I flew out there, had my costume fittings, got to meet a bunch of the other cast, and then flew back to LA for maybe another two, three weeks before we started production, in which case I flew back. But I met probably just two actors at my fitting. And then I didn't really get to meet anyone else until the day of shooting, I think. And then one of my very first interactions was with Garrett Dillahunt, who's an amazing actor and so respected and has worked across so many different genres and so many different styles of work that I was very nervous and intimidated because I'm like, he's going to see through me. He's going to know that I'm secretly just a stunt person. Mm -hmm. You know, those <laughs> stupid little voices I try to shoo out of my mind. But um, I, I was really lucky that the whole cast was so supportive and welcoming. And I think because 
we came from all different walks of life, mm-hmm. all different backgrounds, different countries yeah. that we knew we just were there to support each other. And there was no judgment. And we all have value in our own ways. And let's just be there for each other. And so that's very much what the vibe was. And Garrett gave me the confidence and the support to just, you know, know who I am and just be present with him and not let any of those fears get in the way of anything. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful. He's an amazing human being and uh, he really helped me through it because that was the first couple days of shooting. And it, I think it set the tone for me for the mm-hmm. rest of the time. Were there any scenes that you felt underprepared for ever? And, and if so, did that scare you? Or do you feel that your training just has you never, ever showing up to set without 100% preparation? Correct. I don't think I would ever let myself show up not feeling prepared, Um, though I would not like that to be challenged. I'm sure there will come a point in my life where circumstances out of my control might hinder that, in which case I'll just have to do the best I can. But I tried to make sure I was thoroughly prepared as much as possible for for everything in Army of the Dead. I was acutely aware of the amazing opportunity it was. And so I really didn't want to let that slip through my fingers. And I didn't want to feel like I didn't put in everything I possibly could have. Mm-hmm. But I have to say the fight scene part of it, even though we only had maybe about a week rehearsal before we got to shoot it, and it was only a one day shoot for the entire fight sequence. <laughs> I was so happy that it was the same team from Sucker Punch. It was the same team from 300 Rise and Empire and Man of Steel. And it was people I'd gotten to work with so many times in the past that we didn't need a whole lot of preparation. Mm-hmm. So I, I was very grateful that we were kind of a well-oiled machine at that point. And I think I have confidence that even if we didn't get to rehearse at all and we just had to show up and make something on the spot, I think I still would have felt good about it when it mm-hmm. came to that. I think the people that Zach hires and the crew and his head of departments, they're all just so in touch with each other and they just work together so magically that even if they did feel underprepared or any of us did, I don't know that I'd be able to tell. You did a short film recently with another one of my favorite actresses from LA with Dawn and it's got a little twist to it, which I won't give away. But can you talk Mm -hmm. to us about what you hope to do with writing and production and creating your own content? So for now, I would like it to be a tool for learning and for exploring and for growing as an artist. I'm trying not to put too much pressure on myself about it right now. I think in the future, I just love storytelling and I love people and I love characters. And so any hats that I could wear to explore that further, I want to be a part of. But on the flip side, like with anything in life, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it to the best of my ability. So I think this is the phase where I'm trying to learn and grow and learn from my partner, Shahab Rubari. He's made so many short films that were so beautiful. So I'm trying to soak up as much knowledge from him and from our cinematographer and co-director, Patrick Giardino. I'm just trying to be around the people that inspire me as much as possible and hopefully let a little bit of that seethe into me. (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, I'm I'm in the learning place right now. But eventually, I would like to be a more part of that world. Right now, I'm holding my writing a little bit dear to me and keeping it a little bit close to my heart because 
I feel so vulnerable. Oh, <laughs> <And> welcome. <laughs> and it's, you're doing that with, with your writing, Andrea. Yes. You're like, oh, I'm writing something. Oh, it's just something I won't say. <laughs> that's right. It's a, it's a whole other level of vulnerability. I think that's exactly the word. Yeah. Yeah. But I am very glad that we finished Unwelcome and that we put that out into the world uh, because I, I do feel proud of mm -hmm. it, even though I'm extremely insecure about my writing still. <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad that we all took the step of putting it out into the world because mm -hmm. you have to do that. You can't, you can't keep it to yourself. You're, I mean, you can for sure, but I do want to make a career out of my artistry. So mm -hmm. I just have to make myself vulnerable and put myself out there and Unwelcome was a project in which I did feel like I was vulnerable in putting myself out there. So mm -hmm. I just feel proud that I did it at all, mm -hmm. but also that it was a good message into the world and we had a lot of fun while doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think it provided us all with an opportunity to grow in the areas that we wanted to. And so it's a good starting platform moving forward now, perhaps building more under my Primate Films banner with my partner. So Primate Films. I like that. I'm so glad we've had the chance to find out more about your work and your work ethic, because I think one of the things that we try and bring across here is that there is a great deal of commitment that's required to be excellent in anything and certainly in acting. And even though this is a career where so much is out of our hands and we try to take a look at the things that are out of our control, there is much that we can do about the work that we hope to create. And I think you're an amazing example of fostering a sense of focus and discipline and action, literally taking action mm -hmm. and understanding how that works in terms of the business, but also inside of the craft, being active in your work and in the scene and doing it all with a really beautiful and generous attitude still. And I'm so happy that people get to know more about you. Thank you so much for having me. Any ways I can open myself up to the world and if anyone can take away anything from it, then I feel great. And in that case, I'm an open canvas. So uh, awesome. good. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, let's talk about what we have to recommend to our audiences and to one another. Have you seen or heard or read anything really remarkable this week? Well, yeah, I saw a great production of Uncle Vanya in Moscow. So if you happen to be in Moscow, no, what you about that? <laughs> so you know how a little while ago, I kind of fell down this Korean yes. soap opera kind of hole. Yes. And so I've been watching, it's basically a Chinese soap opera on Netflix called The Two Handsome Siblings. Great. It's fun. It's, it's a little bit of fantasy. And I understand, let's say five or six words per episode. So I'm moving forward on that, but I think it's fun. And I, and I just think it's such a exposure to like a different aesthetic than a normal Western Hollywood style aesthetic. And I really enjoy it. The acting is very different in most cases than what you would think of as like Western style acting, but it's still good. And the stories are fun. And I like the exposure to the language. Mm, nice. Mm. Gary, what about you? Anything to recommend? So, a bit late to the game on this one. It was released originally in 2018, but it's a series called Maniac on Netflix, which was directed, actually, by Kerry Fukunaga, who we mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. who um, yeah. did the new James Bond movie and Masters of the Air. I don't know if you guys have seen it, Maniac. Have you seen it? Nope. 
No. It's a one-off, and it's just a 10-ep series, and it's it's got Emma Stone in and Jonah Hill as the leads, and it's got Justin Thoreau in also and Gabriel Byrne and Sally Field doing an amazing oh. small supporting role. And it's basically like two strangers who are going through some mental health issues, and they're drawn to this mysterious sort of pharmaceutical trial, and they're promised that this drug will, will cure them, and there'll be no complications or side effects. And obviously, things do not go as planned. Um, but it's a really... Really interesting dark comedy drama. It's got strong sort of psychological overtones and it's got a science fiction element to it that is also very sort of grabbable, if you like. It's not too far in the future. It's in the near future. And it's so artfully sort of crafted. The cinematography is great. The set design is fantastic. It's sort of futuristic but nostalgic. There's a fantastic soundtrack. It's just all of the elements are really unique and it's a very inventive and original series. And it's got great emotionally raw performances from Emma Stone and Jonah Hill and Mm -hmm. Jonah Hill particularly is playing very straight Mm -hmm. and it's like wow that's an eye opener and he's done sort of more straight stuff more recently but this is in 2018 and it's the first thing I've seen him in that was really straight and he's not playing up to this sort of chubby funny guy next door kind of thing so that's my tip is Netflix series called Maniac with Emma Stone and Jonah Hill it's a real Strange one. Mm. I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. yeah. It's been on my list for a long time, and I, I just haven't been able to watch it yet. So this is this is a great kick in the butt to just do There it. you go. There's a little nudge for you there, Samantha. <laughs> yes. A little great. nudge. <laughs> Samantha, what about you? Anything to recommend? So I have been a little bit leaning into easy films during the pandemic. It's been hard for me to catch up on like quality film and television. Mm-hmm. And I just, I guess I haven't been in that, that mind space. Yeah. But what did surprise me that I'd love to recommend is that I discovered the world of and would highly recommend for actors Dungeons and Dragons. This is something <laughs> I would talk about thought about i i had only recently had my eyes open to it but it is such a world of i mean it should have been obvious it is a role-playing game but there's just such a world of creativity and character building and improv and living in the moment and just journeying with different people as their characters but Mm -hmm. genuinely the characters that was such great coming out of the pandemic to fall back into it was a great like new perspective of the craft mm. and a new kind of mm-hmm. permission to be fun and to delve into our work in a low pressure environment. Yes. Because, you know, I, I know I can tend to do this, but I think many others, we take our craft very seriously. And so there's an amount of pressure or fun sometimes that can be lost. And this mm-hmm. is a, a way that we can do it again for ourselves in a mm-hmm. zero pressure, just fun role playing game capacity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that is something that I'd recommend to actors out there who have heard of it, but just never really took the leap into it like myself. Mm-hmm. I'm just starting to play now and I'm recommending it to everybody. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. What about you, Andrea? I showed my daughter the 1993 film of Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington called Philadelphia, directed by Jonathan Demme. And I do highly recommend it. The performance has received a number of awards, but it's a really moving film. If you do not know about the AIDS epidemic in the early 80s and 90s, it's worthwhile to take a look at it. And the performances, of course, are lovely. And Joanne Woodward is in it, who is just so magnificent. Mm. She does so much with so little screen time. And I think I just grabbed my daughter's hand and said, that's Joanne Woodward. 
I will tell you all about her afterwards. She's amazeballs. She just blows me away. So I do highly recommend it if you've not seen it or if you've not seen it for a while, it's worth re-examination. And then I've been listening to a book that was recommended to me by another one of my friends, Mr. John Hillard, a great actor who said that The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod has inspired him to really make the best use of his morning time. It's very similar to another book that I recommended a while back, all about getting up at 5 a.m., which I can't ever see myself doing willingly. But the concept is the same, you know, that you take this first hour of the morning and that you craft it a certain way to support your best intentions with meditation and movement and writing and morning pages journaling and that this Intention you can set for yourself can really impact the course of your day very profoundly. And so I've been listening to that. I will say there's a simplistic quality to it, maybe in the writing, but the ideas are solid and I've been enjoying listening to that. So that's my recommendation. The Miracle Morning, if you want to have an examination of how you can prep yourself for a great day and Philadelphia. Excellent. Well, Guys, it's been amazing chatting with you, Samantha. I can't wait to see what you're going to be doing next. I'm sure you are working on something and you can't talk about it, but I can't wait to see what it is. And are you on social media if people want to follow you or keep up with what you're up to? I am. I have that Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Vero. So I'm sure I'll be posting things when I can. (laughs) And should people just search for your name or do you have specific handles that you go by? Sure. Without giving all of the handles, because I don't want to bore people to death. A main one that I keep relatively active on is Instagram. So at sam.antha.win. They can find me there with my updates. All right. And what about you, Gary? How can people keep up with you and your updates? People can keep up with me on the Holy Trilogy, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Gary Condes on all of them. But um, take a visit to my website, garycondes.com, and have a look and drop me a line. It'd be great to hear from you. Cool. And Andrea, what about you? I am on Instagram at Andrea Helene 3 and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. All right. And I am at Brian Casp on Twitter and Instagram. And I have a Facebook page, which I post to sometimes, but I'm trying to do little music videos of the places that I visit. And so I'm working on a Moscow one that I'm... I would like it to be a a little noir. So I'll be posting that somewhere, probably on YouTube and on Twitter and on Instagram. So so check (laughs) check it out. Uh, Depending on when this comes out, it'll either be up already or it will be coming up. So (laughs) check it out. And if you want to get in touch with Vagabond Actors, if you have a question or a topic that you want us to talk about, then you can get in touch with Vagabond Actors at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and Instagram. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page. But until the next time, thank you again to Samantha. Thank you guys for having me. I had a lovely time. We hope everyone out there is safe and creative. Thank you, Samantha. Thanks very much, Samantha. That was fantastic. You rock. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 I'm going to try. I'm going to take another pass at that one. Um... So, and, and do you, should people just, oh, fucking I, it's like, <laughs> it's like 1145 here and I, <laughs> I didn't have an early call today, but I, I was on set today. So I'm like, <laughs> okay. Okay.